Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. I just asked Jay if he'd sing it on Easter Sunday because that will fit in with what we're going to talk about, our faith, hope, and love. So, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 2. 2 Samuel chapter 2. Now, I know some of you are reading ahead in 2 Samuel, and I'm very glad you are. It it helps you to... um, and me to understand where we're heading and uh, the truths of the text. But we're getting into a section of uh, 2 Samuel that is um, really a tough section. It's, uh, it's the Word of God, though, and we'd be amiss not to preach from it and go to it and learn from it. But a question I get is how in the world are we going to get something out of this? I mean, um, you know, there's some texts that, that are very obvious where Jesus is. Psalm 23, you can't miss that. But 2 Samuel 2, uh, you kind of got to dig down a little bit and, and ask the Lord for a little help. But let me give you some insight when you're reading through the Old Testament uh, a little bit just to kind of encourage you and help you in your... Bible reading, I finished, in my personal devotional life, I finished the book of Leviticus this morning. I survived and made it through. And uh, now, Leviticus takes about four cups of coffee. The Psalms, you can drink water and make it through that. But uh, Leviticus is pretty tough. And what I do is I talk to the Lord when I'm in one of those tough texts of Scripture because he's the one who wrote it. We know the author personally. And I ask him to help me. And I, I say, Lord, you wrote to the young man Timothy in Paul's second epistle, chapter 3 and verse 16. You told him and us, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture 
all of it, is profitable because it comes from the Lord. All Scripture is given by inspiration to God and is profitable for doctrine, for what we need to believe, for instruction and reproof and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all Scripture, every bit of it, from Genesis to Revelation, even Leviticus, even Leviticus, even 2 Samuel chapter 2 is given to us by God's breath and is profitable. It profits us, teaches us what we should believe as the body of Christ. And not only that, it perfects us and it teaches us how to live righteously in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can serve Him better. I also remind myself of what Paul wrote to, to the Corinthians when he said, All of these things are written for our admonition. They admonish us. They rebuke, they correct, they change, they challenge us. So there's profit in everything. And so I have to ask the Lord, Lord... I believe the Bible is true. I believe these events that we're going to talk about beginning today and the next couple of weeks really happened. And I also believe you put them in your Word and you preserved your Word, and I've got it right in front of me right here in Mississippi because you want me to have it to perfect me, to complete me, to help me be a servant and to teach me your ways of righteousness. So, Lord, I need your help. Then I need your help to apply it. And so, Lord, show me what you have, what truth you have for all who are in the body of Christ, and even for the lost. What do you have for the world here? What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ? And I wish... I could say that after I pray that, it just rolls right off the page and gets in my mind and I'm singing amen all day long. Sometimes it takes a little digging, amen? Sometimes it takes a little time. And then one day you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you're thinking about the scriptures, you've been meditating on it and thinking about it and... and uh, and it just clicks what God wants to show you. Even in these Old Testament narratives that are bloody and brutal and hard, next week's going to be rough, folks. Um, look, don't use 2 Samuel 2 as bedtime stories for your children. All right, take them to the feeding of the 5,000 or Jesus walking on the water, but don't use 2 Samuel. Wait till they're a little older for that. But let them hear the preaching of it, because, I mean, it's the Word of God. So let's begin 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. Let me give you a little background. Last week we saw when David, after Saul and Jonathan's death in battle, David asked the Lord, where should I go? Should I go to Judah? And God says, yes, go up to Judah. What city should I go to? We talked about David's prayer. We talked about David's people, David's problem. 
we talked about those three things. And he goes to Hebron, and the men of Judah joined David and his men, and they make him king over Judah. He's king over one tribe, one tribe of the Jews. Now, he's been promised he'll be king over all of Israel, and his dynasty will last forever. But right now, he's king over one tribe, and that's Judah. He is freshly anointed as king. The ceremony is not even uh, off the memory of people, and he, they're, they're leaving the building where David was anointed king, and we come to verse 8, and look what happens. But Abner, but Abner the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites, the tribe of Asher, and over, the, and over Jezreel, a region of territory, and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel, all the tribes but one. Abner made Ishbosheth king over all the tribes but one. Verse 10 says, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. He reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was, in, was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. But Abner. Now, if you're reading ahead, you, you, you've probably already read where Abner starts a civil war that lasts for seven, some odd years, seven and a half years, just when David was ruling in Hebron. Abner started a civil war. You know, um, there's so many lessons that we, we learn here. Today I want to talk to you about rejecting the king. What does somebody look like when they reject Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But I want to I interject this about the world stage. Chapter 2, beginning with verse, well, all the chapter, really, in, in spiritual terms of the Lordship of Christ, is a snapshot of world history. It's a snapshot of the whole world history. See, Nations do not start wars. They're not organized enough to start wars. Now, they fight wars. The old men start it, and the young men go fight it. The fathers start it, and the sons and daughters fight it. But nations aren't organized enough to start wars. To start a war... You have to have an evil, sinful, wicked man or leader. Most of the time in world history, they've been men, males. To start a war, you have to have a Tojo, an Adolf Hitler. You have to have a Mussolini. You have to have a, a Stalin wanting to take over Europe. You have to have a Vladimir Putin to start a war. You have to have an Abner. 
And that personifies what James chapter 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you. Do they not come from your own lusts? And so you have this man, Abner, who is filled with ambition. We're going to see him as an opportunist. We're going to see him as a, um, a little bit today as a manipulator. We're going to see him as an evil, devious man who starts a civil war that lasts for seven and a half long years. He is the oldest man in these chapters. And he is very wicked, very evil, very insincere. Now, as you read ahead, you'll, you'll see him trying to fix things up here in the chapter or so. And uh, there's a lot of debate about his sincerity there, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But here we have David, one tribe, a minority of the nation, submitting to the lordship of David. And we have a man by the name of Abner leading the rest of the nation to reject him as king. Let me ask you, does that sound kind of familiar? Isn't there a king over not only a one nation but the whole world that a minority of people have bowed down to but the vast majority follow another king? There is. His name is Jesus. So, let's look and see what does it look like to reject Jesus as Lord? What does it look like to say, yes, he's the king of kings, but I don't want him as my king. I want another king. Let me give you three things about Abner that fit all of us who would say, I'm rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord of my life today. First of all, notice his motive. What was his motive? Some would say, well, maybe Abner did not know that David was to be king. Oh, yes, he did. He knew in chapter 3 he's going to admit it. In chapter 3, he's going to admit it. Before he dies, he's even going to admit it to David himself. But he's not ignorant. Jonathan knew. Jonathan was the next in line to be king after Saul's death. And Jonathan would have, he died in battle. But Jonathan, who was torn between his father, who was in the wrong, and David, who was anointed by God by, through Samuel to be king of all Israel. He knew what was right. Jonathan knew it. And Abner, the captain of the guard, the highest ranking military officer in Saul's army, he knew it. He was not ignorant. You do not reject Jesus in ignorance. You don't. It is a conscientious decision to say, no, I will not have him as Lord. 
I will not. Now, Abner, was he was an opportunist. He was very self-centered, there's no doubt. He was ambitious, and that certainly had a part of it. Let me share with you another motive that he might have had. It wasn't ignorant, so what was it? Well, maybe it was prestige. Abner was King Saul's first cousin. And so he had a little family prestige. Can you imagine going to the football game and sitting down by somebody and saying, by the way, my cousin is king. I'm in the family. It's prestigious. Everybody likes to know somebody, don't they? But boy, to be kin to somebody, whoo we. But Abner was his cousin. So maybe it was family prestige was the issue. Maybe that was his motive. Maybe, and I believe this is certainly part of it, and y'all may not know this, but I live with a, I call her a personality theologian. She helps me out with Bible characters because she can read them pretty good. And she would tell you Abner just wanted to be king himself. I do not disagree with her openly. <laughs> and today I don't have to. We talked about Abner an awful lot. We talked about him this morning. I said, I'm starting to preach on Abner this morning. And she goes, oh, good. I'm glad I'll be in children's church. She does not like Abner. But let me, let me share with you a reason that I really know. Now, now Abner did want to be king. I mean, he, was, he, was, he wanted to be king of Israel, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you got your Bibles, if you want to, go back with me to uh, 1 Samuel 26. And um, while you're turning there, let me share with you just a little bit about the, the context of what's happening. David is on the run from Saul. Saul tried to kill David unsuccessfully, as you know, many times. David had a few opportunities to kill Saul and would have been successful, but David's character would not let him do it. David had integrity, and he said, I will not, no, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. But you have been anointed to be king, David, from the time you were a youth in the shepherd field of your father. Why don't you end it right now? You'll be king and everything will be down. He said, no, it's got to be in God's time, in God's way. And so David is on the run, and Saul is hot and heavy chasing him. And on one of those chases, David comes upon Saul, uh, is able to sneak up on Saul's camp. And God has put a great sleep on Saul and the army and Abner's down there. His cousin, his bodyguard, his captain is right there. And they go down there and, a, and he takes a young man with him named Abishai. Now, we're going we're gonna to run into um, uh, this Abishai later. Uh, he's an interesting fellow, but for now, 
David and Abishai go down, and they're standing right over the sleeping Saul. And Abishai, who is Joab's brother, you just wait till we talk about Joab. He's something. But we're, he says, kill him. And he says, oh, no, it's not right. We're not going to lift our hand against God's anointed. He's still king, and when God's through with him, God will take him out. And so the Bible says in verse 12, So David took the spear and a cruise of water from Saul's bolster. And they got away, and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awaked, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill a good ways off between him and Saul, and David started hollering. I love this. David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Hey, let me read the text. Can't you answer me, Abner? Who are you that criest to the king? Abner said. And David said to Abner, Abner, I thought you were a brave man. Look at verse 15. Who is like unto thee in Israel? I thought you were a one-of-a-kind warrior. Wherefore then has you not kept your Lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king tonight. Oh, Abner. You can just picture. It's called trash talk. Oh, Abner, what you, what, you failed in your job. As the Lord liveth, Abner, you ought to be executed because you failed in your job and let the king get in harm's way. You have not kept your master. He's the Lord's anointed, Abner. See, I've got his spear, and I've got his water jug. Took it right off his person, Abner. Oh, Abner, you've done a terrible job. Do you think that Abner might have a personal grudge against David now. He humiliated Abner. He exposed Abner in his weakness and his failure. No wonder he says, I don't want David to be my king. Does this sound kind of familiar? Doesn't. The first encounter you have or one of the first encounters you have with the king of kings, doesn't he point out your weakness and your sin? And doesn't he say, you have failed. You deserve to die. You don't deserve to live. You are a sinner. And how you live is sinful and wicked. That's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit says that. And he points out your sin. He comes to reprove the world, you and me, of our sin. No wonder the arrogant opportunist doesn't want Jesus to be king. His motive is to is backed up by pride. His motive is backed up by ambition and prestige. I'm somebody special. I'm not all that bad. 
No, I don't want a God who's going to point out my sin. I don't want a king that way. So it's no wonder, Abner said, men rejected the light because they loved the darkness, is what John said. And that's why people around the world today, that's why people may be in this very room, reject the Lord Jesus Christ is because he has pointed out their sin and is calling them to repentance and they hold a grudge about that. Their flesh reacts against it. So his motive. Somebody who rejects Jesus as king has an ill motive. And it's not ignorance. It's pride. Second, notice Abner's manipulation. The Bible says he took Ishbosheth. Verse 8. Now, we need to talk about Ishbosheth a little bit. Uh, you ever met anybody named Ishbosheth? I've never dedicated a baby by the name of Ishbosheth. I hope I never do. I thank the Lord that I was just born in a small town where we had farmers and oil men and ranchers, and they said, We're going to call him Mike. Well, Ishbosheth is not his real name. It's a nickname. His real name is given to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 33. His real name is, is Eshbel. A little bit better, Eshbel. The name Eshbel means man of the master. It means man of the Lord. Though I know Baal is a false god, but it's, it's a word in our Bible, and it means Baal and in and of itself. It's, it's a name. Ish is the Hebrew word man, so man of the master, man of the Lord. But Eshbel was nicknamed. Even a child is known by their ways, the Bible says. Well, Ishbel, Eshbel was nicknamed Ishbosheth, which means man of shame. Man of shame. So Abner took the man of shame drove him all the way up there to Mahanaim and made him king because he wanted to reject David. When you reject the true king, you get a shameful king. That's one lesson. Ishbosheth was no doubt a weak and cowardly type of fella. One way we know this is not only a nickname that other people gave him, but he's 40 years old. His daddy is the king. His brother is the noble Jonathan. Other sons of Saul have gone to battle. The Philistines are invading the land. Saul, even in his wickedness, showed patriotism and some courage by rallying the troops to go to Mount Gilboa and fight the enemy that's invading the land. Where is 40-year-old Eshbel? He's at home being Ishbosheth. He's not a brave man at all. He, 
He's a wimp. He's a wimp. He's not somebody who needs to be leading the nation. All of Saul's sons were killed in battle. We're going to find out later that there was a couple of surviving grandson, a grandson who survived, but now Ishbosheth, his son, survives. He's 40 years old. He's easily manipulated because of his nature, this characteristic. So Abner comes along and manipulates him and says, your daddy's dead, your brother's dead. We're going to ride out to distant city of Mahanaim and I'm going to make you king. And he makes him king. That is what people do who reject Jesus as Lord. That's what people do when they make, when they reject Jesus as king of their life. What are they doing? Well, first of all, you have to have a king. We, 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 we cannot function without a king. Now, the king may be self, our sinful flesh and desires and passions. Our king may be somebody, our king may be something, but something is our, something we bow down to and surrender to. And when you don't want the king who has insulted your pride because he's pointed out your sin, you're going to make something else king. Abner did that. He made Ishbosheth king. And let me tell you why you make a king. Because when you make a king, if you decide you don't like it anymore or he's not satisfying to you, you can unmake him. See, you don't make Jesus Lord. We, we don't need to be saying that anymore. Come on down and make Jesus Lord. No, 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 no. You receive him as your Savior and you surrender to him as your Lord. He's Lord whether you want him to be or not. And he's appointed your days, whether you recognize it or not. He's got the day you were born down. He's got the day you're going to die down. It's appointed unto man. What, who has appointed it? The only one who can, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the sovereign God of all that is, has appointed the day of your death. And he's the same one who says, today's the day of salvation. Come on down and surrender to my kingship. But Abner said, oh, no. I don't want to deal with my weaknesses and sorrows and, 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 and failures and sins, so I'm going to make me a king that I can manipulate, that I can order around. It's called, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Sometimes it's a graven image, but more often than not, these days, and I know in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, it's just some unseen God or king that you've made so you don't have to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's what you look like, a manipulator, when you reject Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, I want you to notice something real interesting in this text. Notice it says, Ishbosheth, when Abner made him king, he reigned two years over Israel. 
And David was king in Hebron for seven years and six months. Now, if you read that, if you're anything like me, you have to scratch your head and say, the math just doesn't add up. I don't have an accounting degree or a math degree. I can't figure that out. So what does this mean? Well, Ishbosheth, very practically, was very easy to manipulate. It wasn't an issue to manipulate the man of shame. I mean, he was just glad he didn't have to go fight with his daddy. And so he, he was just glad that uh, he got to hide out and stay at the house. And so Abner comes along, and I don't know why Abner survived. Where was he? But there he goes, and he gets Ishbosheth. He says, Come on, I'm going to make you king. And Ishbosheth says, Ooh. And off they go. Didn't take him long at all to get him to Mahanaim and make him king. But Saul had to work a little bit to convince the other tribes. It says here he, he, he made him king over Gilead, the Asherites, Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and eventually over all of the tribes except for the tribe of Judah. So it took him a little while, probably about two years, or a little bit, to, I'm sorry, about five years, five and a half years, to bring all Israel over to the side of Ishbosheth. So Abner was working for a long time, manipulating people, pulling people away, trying to convince them. It took a while, naturally and practically, because of distance traveled. I mean, it wasn't a big country, it wasn't a big space, but it, it did take some time. But also, we're going to see that later that the people of Israel, especially in Benjamin, they knew that David needed to be king. They knew what was the right thing to do. They knew that it was over for the... Saulene line, they knew that, Saulene line, and they knew that David needed to be king. Chapter 3 is going to tell us that. But uh, Abner persuaded them, manipulated them away. It took him a little longer than it did with Ishbosheth, but he did it five years, five and a half years. Very interesting. Now, once again, you do not reject Jesus' lordship of your life out of ignorance. Nobody does that out of ignorance. You do it out of willingness. You really mean to do it. It's a conscientious decision you make. What is trying or who is trying to pull you away from surrendering to the lordship of Christ? Who's your influence? Who's your influence? You can listen to them and reject Christ as Lord, or you can respond positively to that unction that you have in your mind and in the depths of your soul and heart that the claims of the Word of God and what this preacher is asking you to do today is right and truth and you could come to the Lord Jesus and surrender to his kingship and receive him as Savior.
because for Abner, it is not going to end well. Don't stay on his wagon. Don't stay on his wagon. So Abner took him five and a half years to get Ishbosheth to be king over all of Israel. In the meantime, he has a seven-year civil war. Seven years he leads a civil war against David. Let me ask you, does this sound familiar? Isn't there another king who's going to wage about a seven-year, seven-some-odd-year war before the whole world will acknowledge him as king of kings and lord of lords? Read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Daniel. And so his manipulation. Third, what does a rejecter of the lordship of Christ look like? Notice his move. He took Ishbosheth to Mahatnaim. Now, we uh, um, we talked about the distance of Mahanaim last week a little bit, and we talked about it, it's on the the far eastern uh, part of the, the land of Israel. It's it's the last. It's it's the El Paso, Texas, before you get into uh, New Mexico. All right, it's, or Mexico. It's way out there. Um, it's far away. We, we talked about that a little bit last week. And uh, it, it's kind of like Abner said, I want to make you king at Mahanaim because it, it's right on the border. It, it, it's, it's in the far reaches of the land of Israel, but it's still in the kingdom. It's still in the promised land. It's still there. And so it's, it's kind of like Abner wanted to be a part of the kingdom with his made king, but he didn't want anything to do with the king. You ever met anybody like that? Are, are there people out there who want the benefits of the kingdom, but they don't want anything to do with the king? They, they, want, they want the blessings of all that God has for us in Christ Jesus, but they don't want to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And that, that's Maha Naim. That's, that's what that is. But I want you to share, I want to share something else with you about this city of Maha Naim that I didn't bring out last week. Hebron, where David was king, was a Levitical city. It was also a city of refuge, and, and uh, we talked about that. It was a city where the Levites lived. And, and when days of the temple, they would leave their Levitical cities and, and go serve their time in the temple and then go back home to their cities. Kind of like an like a, a oil man out in the Gulf. He was two weeks on, two weeks off. Something like that. They had their courses. Well, believe it or not, Mahanaim, way out there, is also a Levitical city. So Abner was one of these guys who said, Ishbosheth, I'm going to make you king and I'm going to build your throne in a religious environment where the Levites are. We're going to look like we're still in the kingdom, but we don't want anything to do with that king. And we're going to look real spiritual when we do it. We're going to be in a Levitical city. That's where we're going to live. And that's where you're going to be king from. We don't have anything to do 
with the religion of Jehovah because we reject his word and we reject his anointed king, but we sure are going to look like we do. Can a person get involved in a local church, be involved in every program in the world in that church, be here when the doors are open, try to be here when they're closed? Can a person give and act like they really fit in, but in reality they don't want anything to do with the Lord of the church, nor do they want anything to do with the spirituality of the church. They just want to look like they do. That is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And so you have a picture of the person who rejects Jesus as king of kings from this Old Testament type by the name of Abner, and we see his motive was pride. He didn't want to be confronted with his weakness and sin. We see his manipulation. Well, I don't want that king. I'll just make my own. That way I can unmake him when I want to. And then we have his move. Let's, let's get far away from the king but still look like we're part of the kingdom. Let, let's go to a city where we can look like we're spiritual, but we really won't be because we can't be because we're denying the word of God and not submitting to the king. So what do you do with this? Well, you do not make, you, you cannot make your own king. Folks, listen, if you want to be saved and you want Jesus as your Savior, you must surrender to him as Lord. You must. You cannot have him as your Savior and reject him as your Lord. He's one person, one Savior, one Lord. He calls for one faith, and he saves you and indwells you, and you cannot divide him up as Savior one day and Lord the next or say, I want him as Savior, but I don't want to surrender to him. It's called Lordship Salvation. Many pulpits don't preach that anymore. But I want to tell you, unless you repent, Jesus said, you will all likewise perish. And unless you call upon the name of the Lord, you will not be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. You don't come to him and say, Lord, I want forgiveness of my sin, but I don't want you to indwell me and be my Lord. You don't do that. It's impossible to do that. We see it right here. Let me ask you something. Was David the anointed king that God said will be king? Yes, he was. Did Ishbosheth make any difference at all in what God had said? Absolutely not. Neither does the kings that you make. Neither do the kings that you make. You must surrender to his lordship. You must surrender to his lordship. And so... That's what we do. Now, why didn't David say, you have made me king, Lord. You have anointed me through Samuel. Abner and all of the other tribes have rejected your word. They've rejected Samuel, the prophet's word that you preached through him. 
They are in rebellion against you by rebelling against me. They will not come and submit to the Lordship. So, Lord, I'm going to rally the army of Judah, knowing full well that when I attack, I will be victorious because by your mighty hand I have been anointed king and there's no way I can lose. Why didn't David do Why did he allow seven and a half years of hard, rigorous civil war take place? Because David practically did not want to kill Jews. He didn't want to kill his own people. He wanted to be, he wanted to be a gracious king. He is the kind of king who would not force the nation on their knees by his sword. But he wanted the nation of Israel to receive his spirit and bow down to him because they have his spirit and his nature. And so he would not war. And he didn't start that war. A lot in the next few chapters, you're going to see a lot of David's orders are disobeyed. Jesus is the king that says, I do not want you to bow down to me because I have a sword in my hand. I want you to bow down to me because you have my spirit and you are my bride and you have come to me and I have forgiven you and you have surrendered to me and I will guide you and lead you in all of life. I will give you a mission. I will give you a home in heaven. I will give you leadership, and I will guide you by my Holy Spirit. For every child of God is led by the Spirit. That's how we practice the Lordship of Jesus in our life. So who are you bowing down to? Who have you surrendered to? Are you saved? Do you know him as Savior, and have you, and are you surrendering to him as Lord? And the invitation is simply this. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven and see your Lord and Savior. The invitation is for you to come forward and say, Today, preacher, I want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I will obey Him from here on out to the best of my ability and grow in my surrender and service to Him. And I'm thankful he forgives my sin and will receive me as the gracious king he is. The first thing I will do is follow through with believers' baptism and church membership. And I will begin to grow in the Lord and I will gather with God's people and I will be faithful to him. And I will be faithful to him so I can have joy and happiness in my Lord and Savior. I'm so glad we have a king who makes us happy. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.